here with Mike Renner in sunny Cincinnati, ready to rip it up after your Utah trip. You didn't even go skiing. Did not. Nor did I go snowboarding. I did hike a lot. The that weather was lame. You never it was actually hiked. Too warm. It was too warm to ski. The snow was slush. So sadly, still went out to like Park City, checked it out, but went hiking a little. Salt Lake City was actually very cool. I was pleasantly surprised. I thought it would be very Mormon, and it is very Mormon, but still a good time. How were the hikes? Um, scenic, I'll say. How long were these hikes? Miles? Couple uh, miles? One was six miles. One was like four miles. So that sounds was, awful. You don't like you're not. I can see you're probably not a hiker. No, I'm not a hiker. Who, not an outdoorsman. It's just walking. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it's not my speed. Literally not my speed. I don't like fishing either. I just can't. I don't have the patience to do that much nothing for that long. You know, it's just not my vibe. A um, couple other things on the Catch and Only Buzz. National Championship. On this podcast, I said, bet Kansas plus 1,600 to win the National Championship. That was from our Director of Communications, David Zofaro. If you cashed in on that, congratulations. I also middled it by hedging. Bet oh, UNC lame. plus four. No, UNC oh, plus, plus four. four. So there you go. So okay. that if the UNC wins, I still make some cheddar. Kansas wins by a blowout, I still make some cheddar. But if they go like they did, UNC covers, end up making a decent amount of money off that bet, which is really, really cool to see. Tigers in the Masters. You're a big golf guy. I don't golf at all. The only golf I've ever played is miniature golf and one time at Top Golf in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. You excited for Tiger in the Masters? I'm excited, but I hope he's good you know like I, I hope it's not just him coming back ceremonially and he shoots you know 80 two days in a row and then is out by the weekend like if he's coming back which i mean tiger the competitor i'm sure he's probably pretty dialed in i'm sure he's mm-hmm. not you know dicking around out there and mm. and uh, duffing it but I, I really hope that he's in the hunt is duffing it, it a, a golf expression yes yes it is I, I actually have a good master story so my brother he married a girl Who's I guess not his wife. His his wife's dad gets master tickets every year because he grew up near Augusta and used to work it as a kid. And so the first year after they got married, he got he got tickets from him. Asked me to go, and the Masters is like a few weeks before the draft every year. And I'm like, I no, I really should probably work. I need to get the like it's too close to the draft. Mm-hmm. This was like two, I think two weeks before the actual draft, and this was I believe 2019. Um, I'm like, nah, I really can't go. Um, shouldn't and it's kind of a bitch to get to Augusta after like flying to Atlanta and drive over. Um, that ended up being the year that Tiger came back and won the Masters for like the first time in a decade. So uh, I was crying watching at home because it was so emotional because I was a big golf fan growing up. Obviously watched a lot of Tiger, but he had been out of the game for so long. And he was on 17, I believe it was 17, maybe 16. I can't quite remember the hole where Tiger almost hit a hole in one on the par three to basically seal the deal and was like in the front row for that. And I could have been there, but chose to work. So don't ever question my dedication. Wow, you love to see that. The commitment is key. I think I think uh, George Chahuri hit the nail on the head when he said, only reason Tiger is coming back if he thinks he can win. So I do think yeah. Tiger is going to come back to try and win here. Some actual NFL news here on the Catch and Early Buzz. Uh, the Eagles trade, which was wild to see. I think initially you kind of like, oh, what's this doing for either team? And then you really realize that Saints are obviously locking into a guy in this 2022 NFL draft where there are you know, obviously two guys now looking for, in my opinion, what I see this from the Eagles side is – they have three first-round picks. They're moving one. Uh, uh, they now only have two first-round picks. And in exchange, they get an extra first and a second, right? Like, they essentially are moving down from 16 to 18 mm-hmm. for pick 101 in this year's draft. So they get a third-round pick, pick 101, to go down two spots from 16 to 18. Then the number 19 overall pick, they send the New Orleans Saints in exchange for a first in 2023 and a second in 2024, which is you're picking up a third-round pick to move down two spots and then an additional first and second 
to move on from a first, which is a mid-tier first that could easily be a top 10 pick next year, depending on where the Saints end up, right? It could be a high pick, higher pick than 19, that's mm-hmm. for sure. So I love this move for Philadelphia. It's obviously yes. a huge win for them. Uh, any trade value chart that you look at for the Saints, how I see it is their position now at 16 and 19. 16 is conveniently ahead of the Los Angeles Chargers who have a needed offensive tackle, and it's been rumored that they want to go get one. Now you're ahead of the Los Angeles Chargers, and you could make that decision as well, try and replace Teron Armstead. And then at 18, you're conveniently ahead of all these teams that need receivers. Like the mm-hmm. Chiefs and the Packers at the back end, you can add a receiver there. There is some conversation right about them potentially – leveraging the 16 and 19 pick that they, that they now have to move up to maybe number five overall and go get a quarterback. I just don't think that's what they're going to do. I don't, I don't see this decision from Loomis being one that he wants to – he'll be essentially training like three first-round picks to go up and get one of these quarterbacks. I don't think that's ultimately what it is. I think it's they want to be better positioned to go get two fill obvious needs off the tackle and receiver ahead of some of these teams that have similar needs. You think so? I, I thought that – I thought that storyline was crazy that, oh, they're jumping the Chargers because they have similar needs. I, I thought that had nothing to do with that, um, personally. Now, uh, obviously, from the Eagles' side, great, great deal for them. We, we highlighted that moving one of those picks for a future first-rounder is going to, one, probably recruit you good, va- good draft value from it, and two, just makes sense from a cap perspective. If you have three first-rounders coming up all at the same time, it's going to be kind of a bitch to sign them yeah, should yeah. you hit on those picks. So it makes a lot of sense for them. From the Saints side of it, to me, it is posturing yourself because with pick 16 and 19 of this year's draft, you are more likely to get someone towards the top of this draft, say like Seattle, say like the Giants, someone willing to trade down and get two first-rounders right now this year to get a quarterback because no one's going to want this whole bevy of picks to try to figure that out on draft day. Hey, get all these you know, first-rounder next year, second-rounder next year, a fifth-rounder. On draft day, that's going to be a bitch to try to figure out with the team if, you, if a quarterback starts falling that they want. But pick 16 and pick 19 is not going to be hard to figure out. Mm-hmm. Teams are going to want that. Teams are going to say, oh, yeah, I'll take those two first-rounders this year. I, have, I was going to draft a cornerback anyway. One might be there at pick 16. Mm-hmm. So I think it, that's what they're doing. Jumping the Chargers this early on, like I don't think you would do it this early on. That makes you sense. know, you wouldn't want to tip your hand and say Chargers can give up a third rounder and jump them back. You yeah, know, yeah, if, they, yeah, if the yeah. tackle's falling. So mm-hmm. to me, I don't think they're jumping anyone or trying to play that game. You would do that literally on draft day if you were to make a move like that. To me, this is posturing to go get a quarterback. Even though I did jokingly text my Saints buddy, I'm like, hey, you're getting uh, moving up to get an OT to block for Ian Book because of how long he holds the ball. But that's, that, to me, is not what's going on. It is they are posturing, getting themselves in a good position to make an easy trade on draft day if a quarterback falls that they want. You know, I was talking to Chris Collinsworth actually today. I was on his uh, podcast, and he kind of had the same take. I said, you know, I don't know if they're going up for a quarterback. It doesn't make a ton of sense, right, uh, to do it in this year's class, but maybe Mickey Loomis is locking in. We know Mickey Loomis. If Mickey Loomis likes a quarterback in this class, he's going to go up and get this guy. Yep. Um, and and maybe that's what they ultimately do, which I think would shake up a lot of things, right? <laughs> shake up a lot of the the upper uh, upper hand of the draft here. We have a lot of mock drafts. We're going to go over one today. Bruce Feldman's mock draft from the Athletic, where. He has Malik Willis falling to 30, right? Which I don't think ultimately was what happened. So everyone's up and down on this quarterback class. I'll tell you what, who's not up and down? Mickey Loomis. If he likes Kenny Pickett at six, he's going to go up and get him very quickly here. And I think he does that on draft day. I think that's a good call. I think that's good analysis of this. The other trade we wanted to call out, Devontae Parker, traded to the New England Patriots. I think, one, this is writing on the wall that Nikhil Harry is completely out of this, right? I think Mm -hmm. he'll be either released or traded in the near future. And then what's your opinion now of this receiving core? Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, Jacoby Myers, Devontae Parker, 
I, I don't know how much that makes sense. The, the Patriots are acquiring Parker um, and a fifth-round pick for a third-round pick, which I thought was insane val- I mean, trading that mm-hmm. much for Devontae Parker, I also didn't see as well. I, I don't see the obvious win here for New England. I think it was a bigger win for Miami. Well, it comes back down to the cap number. So for hit for New England, he's going to cost them six million dollars twenty twenty two, six million dollars twenty twenty three. That's a steal for literally anyone. I mean, we just saw uh, what's his face the the Jaguars sign um, Zay Jones for more money than that over the next two years. So you're talking to me, you're telling me you can get Devontae Parker versus Zay Jones. Uh, I'm going to go Devontae Parker ten times out of ten. And now it doesn't fix this team core by any means. It's still a hodgepodge of number two middling number two type of wide receivers like you don't have a guy in that receiving core but with the way that often set up you don't necessarily need a sole target in that offense i think you have a number of guys that have a number of different skill sets now and this is kind of what they Devontae parker is very much what they wanted to kill harry to be when they drafted him in the first round so kind of spells the writing on the wall for to kill harry in terms of ever getting a role there in that patriots offense and it kind of takes them out of the have to get a wide receiver in the first round. Have to get that guy. You don't have to get that guy now right at the top of the draft. And if they leave this draft without drafting a single one, uh, I don't think they're in a bad position offensively. One more thing on the catch and early buzz. Today I was walking into work with coffee and mm-hmm. the chain, obviously. And one guy was driving and he stopped and he said, Austin Gale. I was like, that's me. He's like, dude, I love your podcast and I love the chain. I'm winning here. This is a huge win. This is a monster win. He also said, stop dogging Fantastic. on Cincinnati. Stop dogging on Cincinnati. Well, you do have to stop dogging. I do on have Cincinnati. to stop dogging on Cincinnati. Now, is there a reason to not dog on it today? The weather is horrendous. This place stinks. Mm-hmm. This place stinks. I'm looking for just some form of normal weather where it's not raining or just gray out and gross. I, no. That's all I'm asking for. I don't ask for a lot. I just want like normal weather. I know. Weather. Normal I know. Weather. I could use it is mid-April and it is not sunny Cincinnati by any means. Oh, actually, that reminds me of a story from Salt Lake City. You talking about dogging on Cincinnati. Beautiful. Salt Lake City, the food scene there is actually fairly good for what I was expecting. It's a very really? diverse city. Um, and I went to a Mexican restaurant there called the Red Iguana that was on Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. Wow. They had a picture of Guy Fieri on the wall. And it was maybe the best Mexican restaurant I've ever been to. My really? They had, well, they specialize in mole. And the mole there was, mole. they have like seven different kinds of mole, mm-hmm. and they are all spectacular. So I don't think there's a ever, single Cincinnati person that's even heard of mole. And it was, I went actually yesterday at 6 p.m. and had to wait over a half hour on a Monday at 6 p.m. to get a, a table. Really? Yes. That sounds pretty sick. So I've never was, actually been out to Salt Lake City. I've done some yeah. hiking actually in Utah before, Moab and yeah. all the Arches National Park. Oh, you did do like some that. hiking. Yeah, I did do some hiking <laughs> back in the day. Uh, not anymore though. Uh, off the catch and early buzz and onto the 2022 NFL mock draft from Bruce Feldman. I don't know how much I love where he's slotted these players. I think it's some of these picks are a little bit unrealistic, but I think what he's done a really good job of is providing like coaching intel is how he kind of <laughs> labels it. Coaching quotes, anonymous coaching quotes about specific prospects like Quay Walker, who's not consistently mocked in the first round. He's also got some really good ones on the quarterback class as well. Before I do, I'm going to call out, guess who's a proud sponsor of the Tailgate Podcast? The presenting sponsor of the Tailgate Podcast. Manscaped. It's Manscaped, baby. Manscaped is the presenting sponsor of Tailgate. The only true guaranteed quality pickup this offseason is Manscaped, the leaders in below-the-waist grooming. With Manscaped Performance Package 4.0, your skill position will be sleek and smooth enough for a sub-4.3. No, sub-4.2. 40-yard dash. Support us and head to manscaped.com and use the exclusive code PFF at checkout for 20% off plus free shipping. I've said this before and I'll say it again. If you are trimming below the waist, 
and you are not using a tailgate assisted purchase of the Manscaped 4.0, you're doing your skill position to do a disservice. Your skill position is a disservice. It's also a great lead on dating apps. Highlight it. Manscaped trail, you know, tailgate, 20% off. People are like, wow, this guy gets it. Pose, pose a pick with one. Pose a pick with one. Yeah. Hold it in your like, a, like a, you do the fish pictures, but it's a Manscaped piece. Because of the ceramic blade and skin safe technology, your nicks and snags will be reduced in the season of trimming the roster. Manscaped will make sure you're cutting the right players and not any important pieces of your D. Look, fellas, don't fall off a draft board. The ladies out here, the ladies out there think that long nose hair is a major turnoff. The Weed Whacker nose, ear, and hair trimmer is your solution. Why not use the best tools for the job here? April is draft season, but it's also Testicular Cancer Awareness Month. Manscaped is partnered with the Testicular Cancer Society to bring awareness to testicular cancer, men's health, and early cancer detection. I'm glad they don't fit any puns into the cancer part of the read. I think that's smart. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with Manscaped, uh, with the code PFF at manscaped.com. And use code PFF. Turn your Mr. Irrelevant into a first-round pick with Manscaped. I love that. Love I really it. do. I really love the presenting sponsor, Manscaped. You know what I want you to bring up on the podcast? I, I think you told this story before on the pod. But I think it should be an annual tradition where you could spring it up every April. Your, uh, the April Fool's joke from your ex is oh, absolutely sensational. Yeah. It's one of my favorite stories. You have to tell it. Okay. So, I was, yeah, I was dating this girl. It was a long-distance relationship. And I had met her. I had met her over Instagram, and so not like met her in person probably uh, like six times prior. Like it wasn't. Wasn't like, she from Utah? Oh no, from no, Nevada. Nevada. Yeah, and so we, I didn't like really know her. Now, mm-hmm. yeah, you know. Also, it, paint we, the picture of what she looks like. That's key to the story. She's uh, pro- she's like very attractive. She's like five nine. Um, got, she's got like, like an IG model yeah, vibe. Yeah, Instagram model. Like it's yeah. an IG model vibe. Yeah. And so we've probably been dating like six months at this time, and she used to. Um, model every Sunday for this, like, uh, it was a costume company that she would like do the new, test out the new costumes. And they were like, oftentimes very like skimpy costumes. She would send me pics of like the, every costume, like all these random ass costumes she was in on Sundays. And then, uh, like probably two days before, uh, April fools, April 1st, she sends me like a text saying like, I really have been wanting to talk to you about something. And I was like, Oh, what? Like, she's like, actually like, no, like I really just don't like feel comfortable. Like we'll talk on the phone about it tomorrow. And then like, I call her the next day and like, we ended up, I ended up like not actually bringing it up. Um, and then <laughs> on April 1st, she's like, all right, I like, I really hate that. I didn't tell you this earlier, but you know, on Sundays when I go try on those costumes, mm-hmm. it sends me this text, which I'm is like, phenomenal yeah. by the way. And she's like, that's actually me going and doing porn shoots. <laughs> and like, I'm in, I'm in the office here. I remember, PFF, I remember. And my heart just like drops. I'm like, what the, f-? I'm like, no way. I was oh, like, how, I like, how is this possible? And I remember. You're imme- what's your, me, you're, imme- you're immediately thinking of scenes, right? You have yes. to be thinking oh, of scenes it was and, and they're bad, right? Mine those are going those scenes dark that place. you're immediately going to. You're like, dude, it's, she's getting, I don't, yeah. it, it's not good. I was going to a dark place <laughs> and literally like losing breath. Like I'm like struggling to breathe for a sec there. I, I get up from my <laughs> desk. I walk out and she's like, Oh, I'm so sorry. Like, please don't be mad. Like I never meant to hurt you. Like, oh, okay, God. Like, walk out. And I just start like walking around Cincinnati. I- I'm aimlessly wandering. And she like calls me like three <laughs> times. I'm just not picking up. I'm like, I am not about to talk about this. And oh. then I finally pick up 
and she's like April Fools, Dude. and I'm like, you. And, it's and, the best. It's the best it was, April Fools joke I've ever heard. It was such a good April Fools joke that I like took me a while to actually believe that it was still an April Fools joke. Because I'm like, you got me. Like I can't just come back to reality from that. I was still like, head was still in uh, in the mix. It's literally the best April Fools joke that I've ever yeah. heard of. I don't think anyone will top it. And I think there's some key tenets to it. Right, the yeah. key tenet one is. It's believable, right? She kind of she kind of had like a porn star vibe to her anyway. So you're already kind of like, yeah, I could probably see yes. it, right? There's a handful of, you know, there's there's certain girlfriends you've had where you're like, nah, that's probably wrong. But the the other piece of it is it's the pre-mare, it's the pre-bake, right? Yes. You have to bake it in. April was, Fool's joke where you like hit up your mom, you're like, I'm pregnant, or yeah. stupid, and you should probably just throw your phone yeah. out the window. Months like, of backstory. Yes, you need to like bake it in and really just like yeah. nurture this thing if it's actually going to be good. I had this take recently that April Fool's should be where you announce something that you've been doing for the last year was a complete joke. Yeah. And you just like it's just like you come out and you're like, Yeah, this is actually all a lie. That would be pretty hot. You know, I think that could actually lead mm-hmm. to some funny comments. We're gonna get to the save your likes part. It's every April Fool's joke that anyone sent. Julian Edelman sent that April Fool's joke where it's like an NFL media graphic breaking Buck signed Julian Edelman. And in the bottom right, it's clear as day. It has an asterisk that says April Fool's. Guess how many likes that has? How many likes that shitty ass joke has? That's not even a real joke. He literally says April Fool's in the same comment. 220,000 people like that tweet. (laughs) That tweet stinks. And it's not even that funny. He didn't even like like Tom Brady didn't quote tweet it and said can't wait and then then he said April Fools like he literally said April Fools as he told the joke Putting April it's Fools like the, in the graphics pretty scene bad. where he's like this shirt is great not like that's literally what yeah. this joke was and it has 220,000 likes it's just an embarrassment if you think that's funny you just don't you're just a, you're just a tra- trash can I'm sorry I can't get on board so that April Fools story though from your I think you've told it on this podcast mm-hmm. in previous Aprils but it honestly might have to be an annual tradition because it's that good it is really that good on to this mock draft. Bruce Feldman, he's been on this podcast a handful of times, a true friend of the show, puts together, I think, one mock every year. I think only yeah. one mock draft every single year where, you know, the goal of it really I don't think is to – so he has in the intro here, you know, after, this, after spending the past six weeks talking to coaches and experts inside college football, so inside college football as, many as, as, as well as many NFL sources, I put together a mock draft based on those evaluations and needs of each team, as I did last season. The insights and the scouting reports from coaches, scouts, and analysts informed how I view day one of the 2022 NFL draft and what each team will be getting with these players. This is not necessarily what he's hearing is going to happen, right? So I don't – we don't pay attention with his mock draft specifically on like where this player ends up and yeah. all that stuff. For example, Malik Willis goes 30 to the Steelers. Like the Steelers trade back and still get Malik Willis. Like that's, I'd give that 0% chance of happening in the actual draft, but he does with that pick offer a lot of cool analysis. Yeah. So, on these players. So we're going to talk about the actual analysis, the actual quotes, quotes. from these coaches and not as much break mm-hmm. down the f- team fits like we usually do. So uh, for, with Aiden Hutchinson, he has Aiden Hutchinson going number one overall. I think my favorite quote was, on film, I wasn't as impressed. But in person, he's a wrecker. It's the motor he plays with in combination with his speed and strength. With the, his use of hands is great. He affected the game on every play. His ability to generate speed to power from his hips to his hands on film doesn't look great. But he's violent. They moved him all over. I've got nothing but respect for that kid. How, in my opinion, and I know you're going to comment on this too, on film, he doesn't look good. But when you see him in person, it's just a totally different player. I don't think in-person scouting should have that much weight. Yeah. I, and I also don't, unless you had watched you know, previous years, which maybe that was what he was watching. But like, if you had watched any point in 2021, I'm not sure how you wouldn't be impressed about what he was on. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It, was, it wasn't like he was a up and down, takes games off kind of guy. It was a pretty consistent week in a week out domination. 
Uh, number two, he has Trayvon Walker going to the Detroit Lions, which I think we're seeing increase every single day, right? Trayvon Walker going as high as number one overall in some mock drafts, going two overall at the Detroit Lions. Three, Icky Aquano, Houston Texans. Right now on DraftKings Sportsbook, you can bet under three and a half for Icky Aquano. I think at like minus 130, I think the consensus is he's going number three to the to Houston Texans. Texans. If not number, you know, he could go number two, obviously, maybe not with the Texans, you know, the Lions not needing tackle. But I think three, the Texans are going to lock into Icky Aquano. Then at four, Evan Neal. And the quote he has here, two people in the coaching intel section say that he's more of a guard in yeah. the NFL, which I I have I did not realize that there were league opinions that, that way. So we had we've obviously heard that about Aquano, like that that's been a and he played guard, mm-hmm. and obviously Neil played guard his freshman year, but he's been attacked the last two years. But two different coaches saying, I think he might be more of a guard than a tackle, which is very interesting to me. Because I don't think I've heard anyone, and he's six foot seven is another big aspect of that. You don't just see a lot of six foot seven guards, but um, I do agree with assessment of there's a lot of there's 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 some movement stuff that he struggled with. I think you'd be an excellent guard is one of the quotes there. I do also think though he has lost weight since, and it says here he played in the three fifty range, is down to three thirty five. I think that's a big part of some of those movement issues and getting out to tackle is, right? and yeah. staying at tackle is he he's realized it himself that 350 is not a sustainable weight for too many offensive tackles in the nfl he also has devin lloyd the utah off-ball linebacker going number five to the giants and i won't read through every quote here but it's like seven quotes and all of them are the same it, it was the ravest of reviews which mm-hmm. is why i can see why he put him five overall mm-hmm. and, and it's something that we've said about devin lloyd that there's not a lot of weaknesses yeah. you, you know he may not be the highest end linebacker prospect we've seen, but he may be one of the most complete linebacker prospects we've seen. And that just, I don't know necessarily how he busts at the next level. He's just got an all around skill set. Fair enough. Can't predict the bust. Mm-hmm. Number six. We haven't talked about this pick a lot. He has Kenny Pickett, the Pittsburgh quarterback, going here, the first quarterback off the board. And it's the only pick they have in the first 120. And, and mm-hmm. there's been some conversation where they might need a force quarterback there. I think Rule said one of those words or whatever it was. Are you? I am of the opinion that they're 100% going with a quarterback. I think they are going to go with either Pickett or Willis or whoever is available, whoever they like the most in this class at six. Is that is that where your head's at with this? Like, I would honestly bet if there was a prop out on does Carolina take a quarterback, I would bet it. I don't know what well, the odds would be. I would bet it. Not even just quarterback. I, I think Kenny Pickett. Yeah, like I think there's the a Matt lot. Rule recruited him at Temple, and there's some connection there, and you know Matt Rule loves the guys he's already got connection with, and just Ben McAdoo, Matt Rule, what they've sort of uh, shit. I put in the the comp for just like how he looks physically, and now not necessarily game wise, but like physically how he plays the game, and not necessarily how he projects to the NFL. But the comp of the draft guy was Sam Darnold, mm-hmm. who they obviously coveted <laughs> themselves as well there in Carolina. So if you like Sam Darnold, we're high on him enough to trade what they traded for him. You're probably going to be high on Kenny Pickett too. Wow. That would be rough. That would be rough if he does have that career, right? I'm not going to put that oh, no. on him. Uh, that's, yeah. yeah, it wasn't – you put cops in the draft guide. It's not putting that on him. That's just more of like a physical mm-hmm. kind of how we play the game, the ability to create outside the pocket at the yeah. collegiate level. Um, Sam Darnold, much more of a risk taker 
even at the collegiate level than Kenny Pickett ever has been. Going to break up the mock a little bit here just because I saw this tweet from Daniel Jeremiah, and we talked about the draft at the top of this episode. But Daniel Jeremiah tweeted out yeah, of NFL Network, reached out to six GMs to get their thoughts on the Saints' motive for the trade with the Eagles. Majority think it's about the Saints believing they're really close and two quality starters could put them in the playoffs. One mentioned Ritter as a mid-first possibility. So, I don't know. I, I still yeah. buy into your logic more than my own at the top of this podcast. I still, you know, part of me thought initially that they're looking to go get two quality starters, specifically at offensive tackle and receiver. But you, you, you did, you know, it's really early, right? Why wouldn't you do that later in the process so other people can't jump you, right? So yeah. the charge can't jump you. So I think that's a good thought process either on both sides. So uh, number seven, he has a mod gardener going to the New York Giants. And I like this quote a ton. I thought he was, this is a quote from a coach in that article. I thought he was very good, but I didn't know how good he was because nobody ever went at him. We didn't want to. So this is obviously a coach that played against him. We put a slap dick receiver over there the whole game and never looked at him. He's imposing. His parameters are elite in terms of his size, range, and speed. You saw that a lot in his tape, though. Yeah. Like, you couldn't really pick which receiver this happened with. I, th- I mean, there were a lot of teams <laughs> who were just like, yeah, throw the, you know. And that's why Kobe Bryant, who yeah. won the Jim Thorpe Award, I believe, for top you know defensive back in college football this past year, got so many passes defensed and got so much production is because like they weren't throwing at his ass and i yeah. think you see that a lot at the collegiate level you know who gave me a comp for him that i don't necessarily hate maybe it's because i'm a raiders homer namdi asma namdi yeah. asma length size and was legitimately no one threw at him and he didn't have a lot of pass production because of it but he never you know in his time with the raiders i know with the eagles he didn't have the same success but in his time with the raiders dominant player gave up very very few yards and very few touchdowns kobe bryant winning the thorpe award is still one of the most egregious awards handed out I've ever seen. I, I think I mean, that's fair. It was the defense was predicated on Ahmad Gardner. Like he he was the defense was Cincinnati's defense because it was completely schemed for him to shut down one side of the field, one guy on his side of the field, and then you had to attack the other side where they just had a flood of defenders because they didn't even give him help. So it was ridiculous and very indicative there that they just put a slapstick on it because they didn't even if you put a good wide receiver over them you were probably wasting him against Mudgar. at number eight he had the atlanta falcons taking Kayvon thibodeau okay uh, a couple of the quotes in here i thought were good i think a lot of the quotes on Kayvon thibodeau in this process have been polarizing to say the least he's a generational talent freaky on film he was the best defensive lineman in the pac-12 since vita vea i didn't think he was consistent with effort he didn't have much success early in our game and he kind of shut it down how are those quotes from the same guy those are back-to-back sentences from the same coach or scout or whoever this was i guess it was a coach right at the collegiate Mm -hmm. level because he said in our game he's a generational talent freaky on film he was the best defensive lineman in the Pac-12 since Vita Vea. I didn't think he was consistent with effort. He didn't have much success in our, early in our game, and he kind of shut it down. That's that's insane to me. I need to know what game that was. I, 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 that's that's insane for him to for a coach to have that opinion on him. Mm-hmm. The other quote is, "I don't see it, man. He's good. He's not great. He was a non-factor in so many games. He's an independent contractor, which I think." <laughs> yeah, one just getting tossed in there. Somewhere. That one's rough. His first step is unbelievable. You just wonder how important football is to him? Question mark. Man, I don't think. When's the last time you've seen a guy get dogged in the scouting process as much as him? I mean, in terms of just, like, specifically calling out his effort and his off-field interest just, like, vehemently. He has been under fire this pre-draft process. I don't think I've seen a player like it. Like, honestly, I do not think I've seen a player more criticized for for non-football stuff. Maybe the effort stuff, I guess, is on tape. But, like, than any player in recent history, I haven't seen it. There's another quote in there where they compare him to Josh Rosen. He says... 
the talent's there, but what are you getting? He plays in spurts. He's got it in his body, although there's a little bit of stiffness there. I'd like, you know, whatever, whatever. He says, he, in a weird way, he reminds me of Josh Rosen. I think they're both good football players, but are they really concentrated on football? They'd be really good at it. But you listen to Thibodeau talk, and you wonder about his mindset. I think whatever his perception of being an NFL guy is, is going to be different than what it actually is. I... I guess I just have differing views. I thought his I thought his podium, you know, his podium session at the combine was impressive. I think he's a self confident guy. I think a lot of the stuff that you read about him and the work ethic he puts in is really impressive. But more and more times we're seeing coaches at the collegiate level, evaluators in the NFL, just dog the hell out of this guy for, you know, effort concerns on tape and obviously the off field interest he has. Yeah, I have I don't think he's Aiden Hutchinson from an effort perspective. You know, he's not you're not gonna rave about his motor. But I, I don't, I don't see a lot. Of, like, show me clips where he's really like loafing it. Show me like an Albert Hainsworth esque clip. Like, yeah, like yeah. show me some of those on tape. I, I don't think that's true. I think it's more just he doesn't have a consistent pass rush plan. Doesn't have consistency in his sort of technique to where that to me is more of why he runs hot and cold. Not necessarily that he doesn't want it as mm-hmm. much on tape. It's going to be interesting to see where he goes. I I will say of any player in this class that I'm rooting for, it's freaking Kayvon Thibodeau to prove some of these losers wrong because this has been insane. Like he's just been legitimately like kicked in the teeth by everyone that talks about him. You can't find a quote on Kayvon Thibodeau that doesn't bring up some of this shit. Derek Stingley Jr. at nine, he goes to the Seattle Seahawks in this situation. But again, I think more important with Bruce Feldman's mock is these quotes here. This one, I thought he was a finesse corner. He wasn't violent at the line of scrimmage, but he has great feet and is a real technician. And his ball skills really set him apart. I think another quote uh, in this one called him a receiver playing corner. Is the drive or fire there? He, has, he had a good freshman year, or great freshman year. I don't know what happened in the past two years. He's got the ability to be really good. I just wonder if he's built for it. It wouldn't surprise me if he gets to the league and he does, he does really well. But if he gets a second contract, is he going to be the same player? So I guess they're questioning what, what money will do for him and that. And then also questioning, I guess, the fire. I mean, we heard something similar when we talked to Dane Brugler at the Combine. He said mm-hmm. so much of the league, not so much of the league, but he said some of the league opinion is that he's not an alpha. He's not a chirpy guy like Jalen Ramsey. He doesn't have the fire on the field. Yeah. Um, and that, and that I guess holds true to this quote as well. Yeah, I, I, I agree with the finesse corner aspect. He, he is not a pure, he, he looks nothing like a mod Gardner at the line of scrimmage. They, they play the game. They play the cornerback position vastly differently, but the ball skills part is so important to the position and translates you feel very good about that translate. And that's a that's a skill at the cornerback position where I don't want to say you just have it or you don't, but it's sticky from college to pro. The guys that can attack the football, the guys that can get their hands on footballs tend to do so at the NFL level as well. And the fact that he was 18 years old and is still only 20 years old, won't turn 21 until June of this year, doing that against the highest level of competition you'll see in college football is shit wise cornerback one for us. This is... And quarterback, uh, I guess, two in this mock. Hamilton, Kyle Hamilton, falls to 11 in this mock draft. He's been a little bit of a fall over the course of this. He had Drake London going 10. So the Washington Commanders get Kyle Hamilton. And the quote that we wanted to call out here, uh, two coaches said he can't cover the slot. And there's been other people that have said, like, I worry about him being able to cover receivers in the NFL and more, mm-hmm. more interested in him covering space. Yeah, that one's... I guess I just disagree with it. Uh, in terms of uh, maybe if you're playing pure man coverage against the slot, but he's more, I guess he, he would be used as with that size. He's better suited for a tight end coverage role, which, you know, also does exist. If you are playing man coverage in the NFL, the funny thing was though about these and why I think scouting is 
as intriguing and fun as it is. One guy says, we didn't think he was that fast. The other guy says, he's fast and has all the measurables. So there you have it. That's, that no one no one sees the same shit on tape. They Even really though don't. we all get the same tape. They really don't. This is from this is Jermaine Johnson. Jermaine Johnson going at 12 in the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, another quote that we have here. And again, this one is another one. Yeah. First guy. First guy he's says. pretty he's, raw. Yeah, he's still pretty raw and wasn't great with his hands, but he's explosive and really active. He looks like he can get a lot bigger. Then the next guy says he's a skilled pass rusher, so different. Um, he's tough, physical, and also played the run well. He was a menace. I don't think he's a freaky athlete, but he's a really good football player. So Literally opposite on all of takes. Mm-hmm. One says explosive and ac- explosive. One says don't think he's athletic. Don't think he's a freaky athlete, but skilled. One says raw. This is skilled. It's same same shit. I think the bigger concern, we haven't spent, I don't think, uh, an exhaustive amount of time on Jermaine Johnson specifically, but I think if you are going to call out concerns with Jermaine Johnson, I think it's production. Like this past year, only 18% pass rush win rate on true pass sets, which ranks 111th among all edge defenders in the Power Five of the last five years. You compare that to Aiden Hutchinson's top five, George Karloftis' is top five, Kayvon Thibodeau's top 15, Boye Mafe top 50, Ojabo top 50. He did not have like a overly successful pass rushing production this past season, even in true pass rushing. And, and that's like even when it was he could attack yeah, like yeah we're trying to isolate it's not just you know a lot of teams will not give you know early downs whatever not give guys freedom to attack but like we're trying to isolate when they have the opportunity to do so and even then he still wasn't particularly productive in those scenarios even if his sack production was pretty high this is one of my favorite quotes in this one because it's so out it's just insane that someone said this yeah. to bruce feldman so houston texans grabbed george Karloftis, the purdue edge defender at 13 this guy says we thought Karloftis was going to be a maniac but he didn't do much in our game he was a bitch on film he's really strong and tough but not super athletic we were planning i don't i don't i don't agree with that we were planning on double teams and being strategic in our pass rush but our tackles were able to match his physicality they called that guy called him a bitch on film which is you hate to see I wonder if he meant that in a positive manner. You think? But he said he, they, his tackles could match his physicality. I think he's literally yeah. calling him a bitch. <laughs> right? I mean, that's he's like, yeah. we thought he was going to be a maniac. He was a bitch on film, which is you, you hate to see. You just really hate to see. Uh, this is from uh, Chris Olave. We're skipping through the mock draft a little bit here. Uh, Ravens grab Jordan Davis. Trent McDuffie goes to the Eagles. And this is before the Eagles trade, so they also had the Kobe Dean of Georgia going there. Garrett Wilson, receiver from Ohio State, going 17 to the Chargers. And then at 18, Olave... The interesting quote I had here is he's as advertised, really good route runner, fast, good ball skills, high points, all that stuff. But then he says, but the most talented of the Buckeye receivers isn't even in this draft, Jackson Smith Najigba, who was absolutely dominant for Ohio State this past year. I think that's a nice preview to 2023. I do wonder if they will keep him in the slot or Smith and Jigba that is, or throw him on the outside. I did also think in the Alave quotes, multiple people mentioning slight build, needs to get stronger slight build needs to get stronger which i also think may have been why he came back for a senior year now maybe it was he saw Devonte smith and was like oh i'm gonna do that but also he's a slightly built dude 187 we've talked about that a good deal with both the ohio state wide receivers being not your prototype from a strength perspective and maybe that may end up falling them down boards because of that but maybe not as well 
couple more picks here to highlight. At 25, he had Kyler Gordon going to the Buffalo Bills. And the quote that I thought was interesting is someone, a coach, it looks like, I was really impressed with both Washington corners. They were, they were competitive and really athletic and tough. I think Gordon is a little better, which I don't think we've seen a lot of Kyler Gordon ahead of Trent McDuffie. But they're both first-round talents. That one's wild to me because I've seen people be higher on Gordon than McDuffie. Uh, that's a thing out there. But most explanations for said opinion is Gordon's a better athlete. You know, Gordon's the more athletic one. Gordon has the higher quote-unquote upside. No one said Gordon's better. Like, no no one – I don't think anyone's gone out there and been like, Gordon's already better. Gordon's the better player right now. I don't I, – I don't agree with that assessment. And do uh, – I'm curious who uh, that came from, honestly. But obviously we're not going to find that out. We will not find out. Anonymous scout, anonymous coach season. Two quarterbacks to end his first round. I think it was to really just fit the quotes. In, yeah. right? Matt Corral goes at 31 – uh, Three quarterbacks. It goes 30, 31, 32 are all quarterbacks. So Steelers trade back. They get Malik Willis. He drops some quotes on Malik Willis. Falcons trade back into the first round. They get Matt Corral. will miss. This is the only reason I'm highlighting this. This is the first time I've heard this about Matt Corral in this pre-draft process. Not going to, you know, I'm not trying to validate it or say it's true, but he was all right. And, you know, this is a quote, uh, an, an evaluator, it looks like. He was all right in the interview. He knew his offense, but there are still some concerns about his maturity. He's had a bumpy path and has come out on the other side. He and Lane get on famously, but what are you getting into with him? He's going to be expected to be a leader of a bunch of men with family. So, like, what did this guy, what did Corral do in this interview? Did he call him, did he, like, tell a mom joke or something? This, (laughs) I don't know what what happened in this interview, but he obviously botched it, botched it saying something. I don't know what he said. Yeah, I have not heard. I wonder if it was just path. like some like Gen Z lingo, like bet or something. I don't know. I, I I could see an older coach being like, "Yeah, can you trust that guy?" I think he said "bing bong" or something off a of TikTok. <laughs> I could see that happening. So that's an interesting quote on Matt Corral. Desmond Ritter goes thirty-two. The Detroit Lions. This one was interesting. I think he'll struggle in the NFL. He's tough as nails. That impressed me the most. He took hits. He got the wiry toughness, and he was in a great system fit there. But I just don't think he's accurate enough. I do think the biggest concern with Ritter is the accuracy. The accuracy is just not good at Cincinnati. I think he missed somewhere in the neighborhood of seven throws at his pro day. At a pro day. That's insane. Which, now, some of them were like downfield throws, overthrowing, whatever, but some of them weren't. <laughs> some of them were not hard throws that he still mm-hmm. missed. So that uh, that's definitely going to be – Something it's going to be the knock on him throughout this draft process. All righty, then. Uh, on to the tight end rankings. Before we do, we're going to highlight Western Southern as a proud sponsor of this podcast. The Tailgate Podcast is sponsored by Western Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western Southern helps you advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow, Western Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. High-level look at the tight end class. Not great. It's not a great tight end class. Yeah. Um, Trey McBride recently at his pro day ran in the low 4.5s, which was impressive. I ran a sub 4.5. Uh, the the comp I have for him, I have I have need to dive deeper into the tight end class. I've watched some Ruckert. I've watched some Otten, but I want to look more at there. I watched some Jelani Woods. But the three guys that I've watched comprehensively, Trey McBride, who I comp to Lance Kendricks, similar size player, shorter arms, arm length, so important the tight end position specifically. Greg Dulcich, I comp to Charles Clay, and I have like right behind Trey McBride. And Isaiah Likely, I'm like completely off on. I, the, 
Yeah. The combine, te- the, the pro day testing, I think he ran like almost a 4.9 at Coastal Carolina's pro day, which is heinous. And the comp I have for him is Michael Rivera, former Raiders tight end, former Tennessee tight end. So the tight ends class is not that great. I'm not a huge fan of it. I think Trey McBride's probably yeah. the best guy, but I don't know if I'm taking even Trey McBride until like late round three. Yeah. So we'll, I'll break it down. Uh, I did categories for this, then I'll get to the rankings and go through it pretty quick. Because like I said, I think Trey McBride's the only guy I'm drafting on day one or day two, and him. Like I said, somewhere in the third round is when I would like to draft him. Maybe early third round would be when I start to consider it. Late second round, if someone takes him off the board, not going to hate it too much. But to me, he is the clear. I have him just tier one in this class. Mm-hmm. And then I have categories broken up like this. Athletes, inlines, and tweeners. And if you want an athlete, or if you want a guy who's going to be a receiving weapon, in your offense, a guy who can like make a difference. You're going to lean towards the athletes. If you want a guy who is going to block for you. Now, some of those, there's some overlap between some of these, but you want a receiver, covet the athletes. Inlines are the guys who are more likely to see the field because mm-hmm. NFL teams can't sort of sacrifice the blocking aspect of the position. Because if you're sacrificing the blocking aspect of the position, you have a wide receiver. And then you might as well just put a wide receiver out there mm-hmm. because these guys aren't going to be as athletic as wide receivers. So inlines are that. And then tweeners are kind of the guys who you just NFL stays away from. I don't see any of these guys. We're going to listen to tweeners getting drafted super highly. Um, maybe the first one, but uh, we'll get to that. So let's, let's start tier one. I just have Trey McBride in his own. So he's outside of any of these categories because I think he's a pretty good all around Obviously, his pro day tests very well. I thought his blocking was more impressive than and that, I think too. Bl- like, yeah. I think he's actually a willing blocker. There's a handful of pancakes on his tape. And you compare that to, I think it was likely. Isaiah Likely's blocking is pretty rough. Dulcich, yeah. I don't even think he's a great blocker either. Yeah. I, I think McBride, you're right to have him. We're yeah. kind of alone in this tier one. So then the category of athletes, I'd stack them up like this. Greg Dulcich, the UCLA tight end. Jelani Woods, the Virginia tight end, who is an absolute monster. Started his career at quarterback at Oklahoma State. Two years there, transfers to, or maybe three years there. Three years there, transfers to Virginia. Still looks like a baby deer out there in a number of ways. Just galloping across the field. Not not a polished route runner by any means, but dude, all-time athlete. I, I mean, for a 260-pounder running low four sixes, um, he is just the kind of guy you want to mold into. Like That's the kind of athlete that turns into – you're a thousand yard receiver at tight end. Like it, the guys that look like that are the ones that end up going there. The next one I would put in this category that I, I think has gotten slept on because he tore his ACL in the second game of the last season. James Mitchell, Virginia Tech tight end. Um, he way back in last year, he was kind of a he was a guy who was getting hyped up for the 2021 NFL draft. I, I, he was in like Mel Kuyper's one of his really early top 25s james mitchell snuck in there 415 yards back in 2020 like i said gets hurt second game of this season still comes out um curious to see where he ends up going draft wise but i think he's the kind of guy who they've like split him out wide they throw him screens in that offense um he's the kind of guy that can get open on his own grant calcaterra is the next one the smu tight end went four six two at the combine 20 reps on the bench. Now, a little undersized, just over 240. Um, but for my money, he's the second best pure route runner in this draft class. Trey McBride's one. Grant Calcaterra in terms of just getting open in this draft class. Um, but he 
already retired from football from concussions so don't expect him to be drafted anywhere near where maybe his production or talent level would suggest thanks almost joking here. oh my gosh you're, you're fighting through this list here but 465 yards last year yikes i shouldn't have eaten popcorn before this why did you eat popcorn before this stuck in my throat <clears> throat> <laughs> figure it out <laughs> uh, get through it get through it category inlines please and then no last one in the athletes category Daniel Bellinger from San Diego State. San Diego State. He was one of the better testers. Probably, probably him and Dolchich were the two best all-around testers for guys who tested everything at the combine. Johnny Woods obviously tested as pro day as well. But Bellinger reminds me a lot of, gosh, I'm, I'm blanking on the name. I had it, I had it prior to doing this. But the guy from Virginia Tech two years ago who went to the Patriots, who then all never saw the field. Um, do we have a name on him off the top of your head? Who is it again? Virginia Tech tight end from two years ago who went to the Patriots and then it, it just done nothing for them. I have no idea. Drafted in the third round when they drafted Devin Asiasi. Yeah, I don't. I know who you're talking about. Dalton Keene. Yeah, there Dalton Keene. Nice. Four. Dalton Keene reminds me a lot of Dalton Keene from a usage and like at, great all around athlete. Dalton Keene was a great athlete coming out, but he didn't run a route coming out of Virginia Tech. They, his average depth of target um, was under five yards. Daniel Bellinger's average depth of target is under two yards because they do not throw him down the football field. So, great athlete. We just don't know how he actually plays the tight end position because what he was doing in college is not what he's going to be doing in the NFL. So, those are the athletes. If you want, like I said, if you want a wide receiver, go there. Now, inlines. Kate Otten's probably the top all-around inline guy, the Washington tight end. Um, Jeremy Ruckert is second on this list. He's the best all-around. He's the best blocker for my money, the Ohio State tight end. But he is just not dynamic whatsoever. He is a plotter, didn't test pre-draft, had an ankle injury. But some of that's because it probably would have been around a 4.94 or 5-second 40. Like, he's just not a dynamic dude. Kate Allen's got a little bit more, even though he hasn't tested pre-draft himself either. Um, those are the top two. Jake Ferguson from Wisconsin is up there as well. Another guy who's tons tons of blocking experience, but he's not quite as big as a record or an Otten in terms of ton of blocking experience, but still not kind of the pro typical size you would want for an inline blocker at the next level. And then Jalen Weidemeyer, who just ran over a five second 40, you run over a five second 40. I'm struggled to see how you're going to see the field at the NFL level. And he was not a willing blocker himself either. So he's had a massive pre-draft fall from grace. And the last category here, the tweeners actually I have a, a, a fifth category that we'll get to in a second, but Charlie Kolar, some may disagree with me on whether he's a tweener, the Ohio, the Iowa State tight end, but because he has 248 pounds, which isn't typically a tweener, but he's almost six foot seven. He's skinny, and he played mainly slot in Iowa State's offense over the course of his career. He did only 13 bench press reps as pro day, which is in scary territory for a guy that has to inline block and block defensive ends yeah. at the NFL level. So he, he is a very skinny tight end still, despite, like I said, 248 pounds on its surface sounding big, but for a guy who's six foot seven, that's not. So not particularly dynamic after the catch. His testing numbers were actually fairly good. It just doesn't match up with what you see on tape with him. So that one is curious. Um, still probably a top 10 tight end on the PFF board, but I, I, I don't really see it with him. A lot of contest to catch it on state because he doesn't really separate so isaiah likely the coast carolina tight end cole turner the nevada tight end garrett prince the uab 
tight end and Derek Deese, the San Jose State tight end, all will run under 245 pounds and all tested like non-elite athletes. That's a scary proposition when projecting the NFL. And that's why none of those guys that I just mentioned make the top tight ends here that I'm going to list off. And then the last one here that I didn't know what category to put this guy in <laughs> because his tape is like, it's just not good. It's straight up ugly tape. Drop issues, eight drops. On 50. So it's Lucas Cruel, the Pittsburgh tight end mm-hmm. who transferred from Florida to Pittsburgh. Eight drops on 56 catchable first career. Bad ball skills. Doesn't particularly get open much on tape. Not looks like a plotter. It looks like he did, it looks like honestly he switched from like defensive end to tight end like last year. Mm-hmm. And now he didn't. But but he is 6'6, 253, ran a 464 with a 35 inch vertical, 10 foot broad jump, 715 cone, a 438 shuttle as pro day. Those are damn good numbers for a tight end. Does not match up with his tape whatsoever. So I put him in the category of testing doesn't match up with his tape. I don't know what to do with him. But he's not going to make PFF's top 10 tight end. So here's how I would list the top 10 tight ends. This is probably going to be how it's going to be in the final draft rankings. But Trey McBride, Colorado State 1. Greg Dolchich from UCLA 2. Jelani Woods, Virginia tight end 3. James Mitchell, Virginia Tech tight end 4. K. Dotton 5. Grant Calcaterra 6. Daniel Bellinger 7. Jeremy Ruckert 8. Charlie Kolar 9. And then Jake Ferguson 10. And for, for context, how early are you drafting McBride? And so for context, McBride, I said early third round, Dolchitz, early fourth round, Woods, early fourth round, Mitchell, early fourth round, Otten, mid to late fourth round. Same with Calcaterra, although he'll probably go later. Like I could probably wait on Calcaterra. That's with uh, concussion issues. Same with Bellinger, Ruckert. We're getting in. Ruckert, we're getting into like the fifth. Ruckert, Kolar, Ferguson, about the fifth. Yeah. Oh, man, that, not a great tight end group. Not because they're not like, again. You're not separating yourself. You're not. The difference between a James Mitchell and a Charlie Kolar isn't so huge that I got to go use a third on them. And we've seen kind of the track record of, like I just mentioned about Dalton Key and Devin Asiasi yeah. of those late third round third round tight ends. Still, not a lot of guys separate themselves. On the fun to read segment that ties up tight end, on the fun to read segment, this tweet was pretty incredible. An absolutely incredible tweet. Nike Basketball, who was doing like a, an enti- such a huge movement around the Coach K funeral, if you will. Yeah. The Coach this was K. the worst brand tweet I've ever seen of all time. Nike Basketball, who has 2.5 million followers on Twitter, sends out, what is your favorite Coach K moment on April 2nd? then responds with the 1992 tournament win, and then responds with, again, three. You can't spell championship without K. That, in my opinion, is pretty awful. And it gets quoted. The copywriter for that. The copywriter for that is out of a job. You have to be. You have to be. be. (laughs) It's it's tough. It's not clever. Yeah. It's not funny. It's not. It doesn't make sense. It's. It's tough. I also don't think that Nike won a lot, even if they didn't send that tweet on like putting this whole branding moment around Coach K, right? I don't know. And then did you see the shirts? They had shirts that were blue Duke shirts that deleted from the lettering the N, the I, and the E. And it just said K on there, which is just – that, in my opinion, is awful. It is – that's not not a great shirt. uh, Why wouldn't you do white N, white I – 
blue K and then like a white E. So that way you're like highlighting the coach K and I get what you're trying to do. But like to just put K on a shirt does not feel like a great idea, like an awful idea, actually. So I don't think that Nike really handled or, 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 you know, exceeded expectations with their <laughs> coach K movement, man. That was uh, tough to see. The coach K feeling was comical to me. I mean, he's respected. Yes. Fantastic. Incredibly great basketball coach. But it was a lot. It was a lot. And Duke is mostly hated. Like, to yes. brand, like, yourself with Duke, or excuse me, Nike with Coach K that strongly. Like, I think Kevin Clark. It's a polarizing brand. I think Kevin Clark of The Ringer had the best tweet, and it was something. I, I don't want to scroll and find it. It was, oh, Coach K should come back for another year. It can't end like this. It should end in a perfect note. Another embarrassing loss, but next year. That's pretty sensational uh, right there. All right, for the Save Your Like segment. This is an all-timer. We hit. We hit the peak Savior Likes. The absolute peak. Barack Obama. Former president. Former United States president. Barack Obama, shortly after Kansas wins the national championship, congratulations to the KU Hoops team. Gave them a tag, which you love to see from a former P, on winning the national championship. This team was fun to watch, and they earned their first title since 2008 which is a pretty good year. I like the slight, well, hey, I got nominated president there. I don't hate that from Barack O.B. But, but the fun-to-watch blast. From the fun-to-watch blast, that's just gross. Come on, Barack. You're better than that. You're absolutely better than that. Uh, this tweet is, the next The next tweet on our list here comes from me. The next three actually come from me because yeah. I need to. I we, need help. I, we need, saw, like, so, I saw this, and I, I didn't even understand it. No, no. Okay, can and, I read it, and then you explain it? Yes, please. Okay. You wrote, my bracket is ruined. Then you did the three closed eye monkey emojis. Um, And then you said, me and the near entirety of the planet had Gonzaga making the Elite Eight. Were you trying to roast people who were complaining about their bracket being ruined? Yes. Yes. So I have a – this tweet, I even reply. If you look, I reply later. This tweet is terrible. I said, this is a terrible tweet. I and all these next three tweets that are save your likes (laughs) moments are all terrible tweets. But I'm trying to – I'm trying my best here. I hate in the first two weeks of March Madness, first three weeks of March mm-hmm. Madness, that everyone just says their bracket's ruined. I don't want you to bring up your bracket unless you're bringing up the percentile you're in. And the only people allowed to say your bracket's ruined or my bracket's toast, my bracket's literally fucked, you have to be under the 20th percentile. If you're still like, my bracket's ruined, and you're like 78th percentile, like, screw yourself. And also, anytime like a major team loses that everyone had going to at least the Elite Eight or the Sweet 16... Like, you don't get to say your backwards are Everyone else also probably had Gonzaga making the Elite Eight. They were a number one team in this year. Yeah. I mean, it's similar to, like, the St. Peter's thing. It's like, oh, St. Peter's win? My bracket's ruined. It's like zero people on the planet picked St. Peter's to win that game. Like, See, you can stop. Workshop this a little bit. I, I think where you went wrong was not addressing that, that, that you were talking about other people. Yeah, I know. Like, it I sounded know. more I like know. you were actually lamenting. The sarcasm font like, was the, not there, and exactly. I get that. And I get that. The next one is also awful. I said, I don't know how the I'm just rooting for a game guy during every major sporting event doesn't realize he isn't cool and everyone fucking hates him. Now, so many people replied to this and said, what are you talking about? I'm always rooting for a good game. If I don't have a vested – I'm not – the reason I hate it is the person who says it. If you say, like, oh, what do you think of this game? Oh, I'm just rooting for a good game. No shit. Everyone's rooting for a good game. Like you don't have to say that. Like, oh, you're gonna watch the the final four this weekend? Yeah. And I was like, oh, who do you want to win? He's like, oh, I'm just rooting for a good game. No shit. Everyone's well, rooting for a good game. No, I, I I don't. I think that's 
wrong. Like the guy who's like you're if he's been asked, it's the guy who proactively offers yes. the take okay, of you're right. I'm not rooting for anyone. I just want fun. Yes. I just want fun to watch basketball. I agree. I you agree. Like, so I, agree. I, I do think you went a little overboard in because mm-hmm. I think the problem was you're calling out by saying, I'm just rooting for a good game. It seems like everyone's yes. rooting for yes. a good game. You didn't say the guy who offers who the says opinion. It. Yeah. Unasked. So that's where you went, yes. that's where you went Unprovoked wrong. Unprovoked saying, I'm just rooting for a good game. That guy stinks. Yeah. That's what I meant. Another bad tweet. So I'm, I'm really going 0 for 2 here. <laughs> and the last one. We should have like an Austin Gale workshop session where we like, <laughs> Read your tweets, and then how do we make them better? How do we? This improve? last one's terrible, like legitimately terrible. Yeah, I don't actually, I don't know even where. Like, I had an idea of where you're going with last no. two. So this, this one, I, one sure. I saw a clip on Twitter of WrestleMania, and I'm not a big WrestleMania or WWE guy. Surprise, I don't even know what the difference is. But I saw, I was watching some video of a highlight of it, and there's this screenshot. I don't know if Quinn has it for the YouTube, but there's this screenshot of yeah, he has it of this that McAfee, and it's like. This is real that people watch, like McAfee, like acting like he's dead in this dude's palm, and people are like, "Yes, I love WrestleMania," and so I quote tweet it with sarcasm, ideally, but it obviously doesn't hit. WrestleMania was so epic this year. This looks like a joke, and if you go back and watch that film, it's like McAfee's like fake, like like the end of Mortal Kombat. You know the end of Mortal Kombat where like fatality, and you're like standing, but you're like yeah. this. Like McAfee's doing that, and then he like wakes up and pins him, and it's like the the whole. St- I'm not calling it a sport. The whole gimmick is it just I feel like it's it's weird that it's like prioritizing like legit masculinity, let's go get these shirtless buff steroid out dudes and, and make this physical when it's like really like not and it's not super physical. That's the part I struggle with. Like I'm fine with people liking fantasy. Game of Thrones is a very popular show too. Like I get that. And scripted mm-hmm. plays are common. We'll go watch Lay Miz. Let's go do it. I just feel like it's weirdly marketed as this like brutal fight sport type of thing when it's not like McAfee like is faking a sleep in this screenshot I have and then like gets wakes up suddenly and pins him and then go watch this video this guy getting pinned like so he's carrying him on his back right I'm gonna stand up he's carrying him on his back and McAfee's like fake a sleeping dead I don't know who this other wrestler is this guy's like roided out and he's perfectly conscious obviously standing on his back and then McAfee does like some weird well rehearsed little reversal thing and when the guy goes on his back he's just dead like legitimately like he's like eyes are closed deceased and it I just don't understand how people like that I don't I, I, I got, I'm struggling to see why people like that you, so I, I used to watch this kid. I, it is like the drama aspect. It's a soap opera. Yeah, and yeah. Oh no, for sure. It's like definitely it. a soap opera. And the sort of the acrobatics of it can be entertaining at times. I, I'm not obviously a fan still, but I do think that at some point, like different strokes for different folks. You don't have to. You don't have to hate on. No, I wasn't trying people. to hate on it. I wasn't trying to hate. I on mean, it. I, I was the, just the best kind of, response was someone said, "Why are you the way you are?" That's fair. Awesome. I don't know why the way I am the way I am. So. Be, because they got you with an office quote. <laughs> That's pretty good. It's pretty good. Got you with good. an office quote in your own in your own game. I, I, you, can, own game. I, I, you can like wrestling. I just don't understand. I, I don't understand. I feel like people like it for weird reasons. You know, they like it for it being like epic and crazy and it's like dude it's all scripted and it's all fake and it's not masculine at all it's like really not like no one's actually getting hurt or anything yeah i don't know it's it's an interesting piece it's an interesting piece uh that's gonna do it for the save your likes segment the fun to read segment the tight ends the bruce feldman now on to our interview with arkansas head coach sam Pittman. talk to him about Traylon burks in this upcoming season for arkansas football 
Now joining the show is Arkansas head coach Sam Pittman. Excited to have you a part of this, man. We are super excited uh, to get you on this show, man. You are one of my favorite coaches in college football right now, so I really appreciate you setting aside the time. Well, I appreciate all the compliments, and it's my pleasure to be here with you. Where I'd like to start, before we look ahead to the 2022 season, and it's you guys have a lot of talent coming back. Ricky Stromberg, Bumper Pool, Rocket Sanders, the true sophomore running back. I want to talk a little bit about Traylon Burks. And before we talk about you know how phenomenal he is as an athlete and, and the player he's going to be in the NFL, I want to speak, you, you to speak specifically to his usage at Arkansas, right? Looking, you know, coming from PFF, we look a lot at alignment and how often is he getting targeted at or behind the line of scrimmage. And so much of his reception work was near the line of scrimmage. You want to get the ball right away. See him making those plays after the catch. I mean, he also has this vertical threat ability, right? When you put him on the outside against Texas A&M, he'll go for an 85-yard touchdown like we saw last year. You know, I guess speak to your thought process or, or your offensive coordinator's thought process around how you wanted to use Traylon Burks every single down and, and just what that all came out to this past year. Well, it doesn't do you any good to have a really good player on the team if you're not going to get the ball to him, you know? And so uh, we would go in and we would have 10, 10 specific ways where we felt like that he was going to get the ball. And uh, certainly uh, sometimes it went more than that. Sometimes it was a few less than that. But we knew what we had. Uh, we knew that he could break a game open for us. Uh, and we knew that if we didn't use him properly – that we were really doing an injustice to our football team and to him. And uh, certainly he was great at one-on-one, uh, any, any, uh, in a one-on-one ball situation. He was outstanding there. And he's so big that we just felt like if he could get his shoulders north and south, uh, that he's hard to bring down. And so uh, we certainly uh, had a plan every week. It started on Sunday. And we had a Traylon Burks plan on how we're, how we're going to try to attack the defense. And with that, you know, a lot of his usage was in the slot. I spoke to a lot. Of, you know, there's some screen work there, some crosser work there, a lot of that on his tape. But some of my favorite plays, and I think it really speaks to what he can be in the NFL, potentially playing more on the outside or one-on-one -on -one situations against press coverage and him winning as a receiver. Were those also plays that, you know, a part of that Traylon Burks plan, or did that kind of just depend on the matchup and all that? A lot of times those were checks for us, you know, uh, for, for whatever reason, it seemed like we got a lot of total last year, a lot of cover zero, a lot of total. And uh, any time that we uh, had total blitz, we were going to Burks. I mean, that's just how it was. Well, sometime it'd be, a, you know, it'd be a combination of a slant or a go, depending on whether it was press or off coverage. Uh, but nobody in the middle of the field. We, we gave him free reign, and, and him and KJ were on the same page. All, it seemed like most all the time people told us it seemed to hurt them. LSU did a really good job against us uh, uh, that way, but uh, other teams we seemed to hurt quite a bit with that. So uh, that's whenever he you want to put it, give him a little more width out there uh, where he can run his goal and where he have the entire field on the slant route. What uh, you know, we talk about his usage all day long. I want to you know also speak to just the talent he is on and off the field. I actually had an opportunity to have him on my podcast earlier in the season, and something he spoke to is that he was big on cutting weight and really like refining his body. You know, he said he you know some of the players making jokes in the locker room. He was getting on the chubby side, so he even got to cut down to a more chiseled up two twenty five. And I think that's really reflective of the type of player he is and how much he wants to improve. What, what has been your perspective of his improvement as a player? and just the type of commitment he has to getting better, you know, off the field. 
you know, he's just a great person. You know, he's a country kid out of Warren, Arkansas. Bo Embry was his coach, did a great job of preparing him for college ball. And hopefully we prepared him for the NFL. But, uh, you know, he's a competitive guy, very confident, very confident guy. He, you know, if we got in a bind, he could punt for us. Uh, he could, He's he's probably got as strong as arm, throwing arm as anybody on, on the team. Uh, <laughs> just athletic guy, you know, old hog hunter. Um, got his dogs and all that kind of stuff. He's just a down-to-earth, one of those guys where hopefully uh, we're praying that he gets taken in the first round, but one of those guys where the money uh, won't change him. I mean, it'll be it'll certainly be nice for him and those things, but he's a down-to-earth guy. I understands that uh, the NFL doesn't last forever, and, and I think he'll uh, continue to improve uh, because that's what kind of person he is. Last question on Burks, Coach, and then we'll look ahead to the 2022 season. Uh, you know, what do you expect, say he does go in the first round, I think there's a really good chance he can go inside the top 15, top 20 picks. What do you expect his usage to be in the NFL? Do you see it requisite to what you did there at Arkansas, or is there an opportunity for him to play more of a full-time role on the outside? What's his ideal usage from your perspective as he goes into the NFL? Well, I think he's a slot. Now, with that being said, um, slots, a lot of times, in my mind, you're looking at option routes and things of that nature. Uh, I think each team, depending on, you know, how many wideouts they put on the field at, at a time, and I think each team will have their own way to use him. I, I believe that they can't go wrong whether he's the boundary receiver or whether he's the slide or uh, that's where I would put him as either, either the one-on-one guy to the boundary or the, or the slot receiver, but uh, I, I think he would fit into any any process, any offensive scheme that they might have, and he'll be a he'll be a quick learner for them as well. Looking ahead to 2022, I wanted to start before we get into some of the specific players. I wanted to start with more of a high level question. I think you have some really good you've you've shown really good success in the transfer portal and leveraging the transfer portal in your time there at Arkansas. I think it's been one of the more impressive things about your tenure. In addition to how you performed, you know how how your team and how your staff has performed in the recruiting ranks. I, I guess what is your high level plan and approach to the transfer portal? Right, because so much has changed with that process. With you know the the year of eligibility rules changing and all that. What is your approach there at Arkansas and how you want to best prioritize and best leverage the transfer portal right now? Well, we're, we're a high school recruiting university. And so I want to go out and get the best high school. I tell our coaches all the time, the better we do in recruiting high school players, the less we'll need to use the transfer portal. And um, certainly you're going to have to use it because, you know, if you recruit a lot of good players, you you, they tend to transfer, you know, if they're not playing as much as what they possibly could at some, probably could at some someplace else. But we usually save five to six scholarships a year uh, for the portal. Uh, our philosophy in the portal is he's got to come in and he, we have to feel like he's a potential starter. We don't go into the portal necessarily for depth. The only way you can kind of halfway make that sure is the young man that you're recruiting can't be the, in my opinion, can't be the five-star kid out of high school that's not playing college football. He's got to be the guy that is playing on the field so you can get a real evaluation of him against good players. And that's what we do. We They have to have been on the field for the team they're transferring from or we're probably not interested. 
In, in the transfer portal this offseason, you added Jaden ha- Hazelwood from Oklahoma. How excited are you for that addition to the receiving core and just to see that connection unfold with K.J. Jefferson in 2022? Yeah, he's, you know, obviously the first thing priority was trying to find somebody that we could uh, be a playmaker like Burks. And certainly um, he's one in, one in a few, you know, uh, here at the university. So we – we went out specifically looking. It was a great situation because uh, Jaden had went in the portal. They had a coaching tra- uh, change over at Oklahoma, and his high school uh, head coach Jimmy Smith is our running back coach. So it was, a, it was and I, I knew Jaden as well from co- uh, recruiting, helping, trying to help recruit him uh, when I was at Georgia. So it, it, it's we wanted him. We went after him uh, once he got in the portal, and and it's worked out. We, we, did, we talked a lot about Burks, now talking about Hazelwood. Something that you said in a recent press conference that kind of stuck out to me is that you prioritize length and size at the receiver. You know, you said you can recruit guys that are small and fast, but the, big, the better ones are the big and fast. And you really do, like, lean into that at the receiver position. Talk more about that, right? Why, why size and length is so important at the receiver position, especially as you see, you know, some guys have success in the NFL that are these smaller types. But why, why specifically do you prioritize length and size at the receiver position? Well, sure they do. I mean, and, and uh, you know, that's just my personal belief. And the, the reason I do is because we play in the SEC West. And and somehow you have to survive, you know. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and and big people are going to survive a little bit, you know, a little, a little more than, than a smaller guy getting hit by the opponent's big guys, you know. And I like huge offensive line. I like big everything. Obviously, K.J. Jefferson's a big quarterback. (laughs) You don't have to worry about, well, is he going to run the ball on this read when he weighs 245 pounds? You know, it's you do if he weighs 190 or 200, you know. So uh, we certainly are concerned about that. But because of his physical stature, we, you know, we're going to play ball and try to win games. And that is at every position. But – Certainly at the wideout, that I'm a big guy. We're going to run the ball here, and they have to be able to block. And a bigger, stronger guy is going to certainly that's willing. Uh, certainly has the opportunity to be a great blocker. You know, we've we've talked a lot about size. You also have and, and the recruiting race. You brought in a four-star recruit, Rocket Rocket Sanders, Raheem Sanders. You call him Rocket Sanders, the six-foot-two, two-twenty monster back as a true freshman. I know you expect big things from him in 2022. What's this going to look like, right? What what is Rocket Sanders really handling the load and growing in his Arkansas career going to look like this upcoming season? I love the guy. He's he's the first guy over at study table. He's the first guy in in class. Uh, I just love him. Uh, he's very meticulous in his approach to everything. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I will say this, over five days of spring ball, he's become a running back. Uh, you know, last year, you know, he played slot in high school. Yeah. And we needed him for running back. And, and we, I'll be honest with you, we didn't think, we didn't have him on our board as a running back. We had lost a running back early. We put him back there. We liked him. But he was just a tough, big, fast, hard-running kid last year. This year, he's turning into a running back, starting to see things, play with a lot of confidence. So I, I look for him to have a, a really good year this year. 
he's definitely one of those Arkansas players I'm really excited to see this upcoming year. Last question for you, Coach. I'll let you go. I really appreciate the time. Two players on defense that I wanted to highlight that. Uh, more more Arkansas defenders that I'm really excited to see. Bumper Pool, the off-ball linebacker, and then you also get Jalen Catalan back. Jalen Catalan, who had the shoulder injury last year, could have been a, a declaration into this year's draft. He makes this decision to come back to Arkansas. One, speak to how excited you are to have Catalan back on that defense and, and come back as a leader, and then also just the development development of bumper pool in that defense well Catalan's the, the the voice of the defense I mean that's just what he is and it starts to be honest with you with O and D walk uh in, in practice I mean you can hear him all over the you know, yesterday we went indoors because it was raining a little bit but um you can hear him and um He's got the attention of, of the guys back there. We have some pretty good leaders in that secondary, He, he him being one of them. But with him being a middle safety, he kind of controls the whole thing, and he loves that. He's good at it. Uh, he will, you know, he certainly will hit you. Uh, and uh, he understands the game and, 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 and understands where he needs to be and probably more importantly where everybody else does too. With Bumper, uh, what a huge – get for him to come back we needed him to come back uh i think that he has an opportunity to to be the all-time leading tackler at the university of arkansas uh, i believe that uh, you know he feels like he can bring his draft status up which i believe he can too because he he was healthy for the first time last season uh we can get him through this season that way i believe that he'll He'll uh, get a higher draft grade, a much higher draft grade than what he had this year. Fantastic stuff, Coach. Really looking forward to this year. Best of luck this upcoming season. Uh, I sure appreciate your time.